Hey guys, it's Ken, and surprise, it's a new episode of Three Strikes You're Out. I know, I can't believe it either. So just as a quick little bit of explanation here, part of the reason why there were no episodes this winter was because there was no baseball and there was a lockout, and every episode for four months would have been essentially Rob Banford is evil and I'm sad, which is something you can build a podcast around, but I just didn't want to do it. And also, just as kind of a quick house cleaning, uh, my day job increased my hours during the winter, and that's good for rent and food and stuff, but it also means that there's not as much time during the day for things that I actually care about, like this. So um, this is going to be kind of a occasional podcast, essentially, where if there's something in the news I want to talk about, or if I have a guest I really want to have on, like this week, then there will be a podcast, and it'll be cool. And I hope you stick with it, because I still like having these conversations. Uh, this week, my guest is Major League Umpire Dale Scott, who has an excellent new book out called The Umpire is Out. It is available on Amazon and at all your local bookstores. It's informative, it's entertaining, it is funny. And that is really what I want to emphasize right here off the top, is that when you listen to Dale during the interview, you know Dale Scott can tell a joke. The man knows how to tell an anecdote. It's great. And I'm happy to report that within the first five or ten pages of the book, I was cackling. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. I think you're also going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let's get to Dale Scott. Uh, Back on the pod today, it is a rare opportunity when I get to say an umpire is a legit friend of the pod, but we have <laughs> a three-decade Major League umpire and the author of The Umpire is Out, Calling the Game and Living My True Self. Dale Scott has returned. It is good to see you, sir. A return engagement from an umpire on your podcast. I am I'm shocked. <laughs> if there were a live audience here, the chant would be, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> this this would be one time that if I heard fake news, I might I might actually believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have a total WWE ent- entrance. You'd have the not to exactly. oh God, it's Dale Scott's music. Yeah, I have to have my walk up music like everybody else, yeah. right? But <laughs> if umpires had walk up music, what would yours be? Well, the, when the minor leagues, it used to be three blind mice, and we put it into that real quick. Um, <laughs> Uh, what would my, you know, and I, I've not been asked that question of all the questions I've been asked. I've not been asked that. What would my walk up music be? Let me think about that. I'll come, uh, I'll come up, I'll circle back later. I was kind of thinking, you know, that made me think of reading like the section of your book where you talk about your first game in Kansas city and that first walk from, uh, the, the dressing room or the change room. It's is the umpire changing room or locker room. Uh, we call it locker room, locker room. Uh, okay, so or, like, or umpire clubhouse. Uh, yeah. Umpire clubhouse yeah. to the plate. And I never, until I read that passage, thought, you know, that is like the official moment for you guys. When you take yeah. that first walk to the plate and you look around and realize, yep, okay, this is now serious. The game is about to start. Um, and like, so, yeah, that, I, I guess uh, the idea of uh, entrance music with that would be like, if you could get the Undertaker's music, that would be the best. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of suggestions what we should have. I'm just not <laughs> sure if I would be, uh, uh, you know, one to, uh, you know, it's funny, though. Um, I had so much fun on some of these crews that I, I worked with as a crew chief and also uh, before I was a crew chief that there were literally times like when I was working with um, in the late 90s, uh, Davey Phillips, uh, Durwood Merrill and and uh, Rocky Rowe. <laughs> we laughed so much. There were times that we were literally going up the three or four steps to go onto the field saying, all right, guys, calm down. You cannot be walking <laughs> on the field, you know, in, in, you know, having you know, uh, belly laughs. I mean, it's just, you know, game facer. 
Um, so, but you're right that you, you walk down, depending on the stadium, obviously the, the little tunnel or the little way or whatever. And all of a sudden, it, you know, you the crowds, you can hear the sounds a little bit louder, a little bit louder. And then you just come up, pop up there and it is, it's, it's showtime, you know? So it's, uh, in a way I kind of miss that, just that, just yeah. the walking on the field thing, you know? Did you have a favorite ballpark to get like your first sight of the field from like the most dramatic? Uh, um, well, you know, yes and no. I mean, I mean, the classics, the Fenways and the Wrigley's are, are, they're just classic, you know, and, and, and you, you have a special feeling when you walk in to the park before you even go on the field, you know, in that kind of, in that sense, um, you know, um, there are some, I think Pittsburgh is one of the most beautiful parks uh, that MLB has. I mean, the, the, the background in Pittsburgh with the city and, you know, being on the river and everything, I think it's just a gorgeous ballpark. They did a great job with it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I always have favorite, you know, I always uh, get kind of a thrill when I go in Seattle because I usually have a lot of friends there or people that are, that are there to, you know, to, to watch the game. And then um, uh, even though it's uh, old by a lot of the standards now, Dodger Stadium is pretty impressive when you walk out of there. It's just, it's just a beautiful ballpark. Yeah, that's that be the first thought in my mind. It's just Dodger Stadium has the five decks, so it just keeps right. going up and up and up. And if you get that first glimpse of that from the field, that's got to be just so. Oh yeah, this is yeah. the big league. Yeah, it's it's here. pretty incredible. And growing up a Dodger fan, just as a kid, and 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 my first ever game when I was like thirteen uh, was Dodger Stadium, and so it was always kind of the mecca. So that, the first time I worked there was a, a the Freeway Series, you know, exhibition game against the Angels um, back in the might have been late eighties, early nineties. But the first time I walked on the field, I was as an umpire and I, you know, we did the grounder stuff and I was out on the bases. I'm just looking around, just going, what am I doing? <laughs> this is, I would have never dreamed watching those Dodger uh, teams when I was, you know, a kid and, and, and Garvey and Lopes and uh, uh, Russell and, uh, you know, Say and those guys. Uh, I would have, if somebody said, you're, someday you're going to be on that field and you're going to be on that field umpiring, you know, the Dodger. I, yeah, yeah, right. Whatever. It's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's one of the big league dreams come true. It's it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. a very specific kind too to be like the one in charge of that particular game. Like, right, right. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's you know, Ken. It's really kind of funny since I retired because you have a time you have well, and writing the book helped this also. But you have a time now to finally step back and kind of reflect on what what you just did for the last thirty five years or whatever. Um, because when you're in the, you know, when you're doing it, you're just doing it. Um, you're just doing it. That's just what you do. And you, you, if it's the off season, you're preparing for the season. If it's the season, you're getting through, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a, you know, on the hamster on the wheel kind of thing, because that's just what you do. But when you're able to finally get off that wheel and now have time to kind of reflect, sometimes I, I see, and, and when I was writing stuff, I, I just go, did I really do that? Was I really there when that happened? You know, I mean, it is in a way mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I kind of want to get into that a little bit here because the thought, the first question that I had for you uh, after finishing the book was if you went back to like Dale Scott of like, say, 1990 and you were to tell him like, this is your life right now, would you be more surprised that you were able to come out and have it be such an incredible, successful experience for you? Or that would you be more surprised that you are now a legit baseball author? <laughs> well, both, uh, frankly, but um, I, I, the fact that if you would have told me in 1990, um, you know, when this thing ends, uh, you will have come out publicly, you will have, um, uh, you know, in a way, in a, in a small way, don't get me wrong, but it'd be, been kind of an ambassador to the uh, to the gay community, a conduit to, to sports and, and, and the first uh, 
active male sports official in the Big Five, all this stuff that's happened here in the last uh, several years, I would have not have believed it. In fact, when when Billy Bean and I were on the very first MLB float at the New York Pride um, in 2018, at one point, more than once actually, but I remember him and I, you know, we're, we're doing, we're waving and doing all this stuff. And then we just kind of looked at each other and just said, can you believe this? <laughs> you know, I mean, the fact that MLB had a, a float in the parade was, you know, that, that would have been hard to believe many years ago. Uh, and then the fact that both of us were, were on it, it just, um, it's got, you know, it, it's a little mind boggling. 1990, if you would have said that, no, I would not have believed it. Yeah. I mean, hell, I, if you'd have told me that I'd be a writer for Outsports talking about, you know, being a gay sports fan, uh, and, you know, that would have been, I think, sixth grade me. So my first response would have been, I'm not gay. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that. In, in I thought you were going to say, I'm not a sports fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could never hide that. My God. <laughs> right. If you wanted to get me riled up as a kid, just go after any any cup. Go after Sandberg, right. go after Dawson. I would leap to their defense. Right. So, yeah, that's <laughs> well, that part. I love that though. I love that. You know, until I got an umpire, and I was I was a pretty big Dodger fan, and I was mm-hmm. I was pretty and and you know and somebody said, well, how can you all of a sudden you're an umpire, so you just set that aside? Your 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 childhood uh, uh, team, uh, you know, that you devoted your life to, you know, as a kid. They said, yeah, it's pretty easy because the the first year in the Northwest League, Bellingham was one of their uh, uh, affiliates uh, for the Dodgers, and they screamed at me more than anybody. So I thought, you know what? I, mean, <laughs> it, I, I think all bets are off now. We're, mm-hmm. we're just going to umpire baseball. <laughs> it's it's fascinating how uh, in your book you talk about so many icons and you kind of evaluate them based on exactly how they responded to you, uh, which is completely understandable given that that's, that's your professional life. Uh, and you look at uh, someone like Cal Ripken, for example, is one that stuck out to me is uh, you kind of uh, talked about he's someone who, you know, if you get a couple words from him, great. Uh, and if they're polite, that's an upset, which <laughs> given the way he's revered, it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, Cal was a guy that, first of all, you know, a lot of these guys, it doesn't take away from their talent at all. I mean, they're extremely talented, unbelievable athletes and baseball players. Uh, but some have a little bit better um, attitudes than others. You know? and, and of course, as an umpire, I get a different attitude than I might get from if I was just a fan or whatever. But um, the thing about Cal is with that team, with the Orioles, he, he didn't have to say a word. I mean, he did not have. And there's a there's a few players like that on, on teams, you know, but he he was one of the masters at it. Just just the the, the shoulders shrink a little bit when you call a strike on him. And that, that was the cue that, OK, <laughs> if you're in Baltimore that, you know, the, of course, the fans are going to pick that up. But wherever you're at, uh, uh, that's the cue to the to the Oriole dugout that, um, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he and basically he's he just stayed out of it. He was just, the you know, the body language. He, he wasn't a big talker. Cal. Um, it just wasn't a guy that, that chatted all the time on the field. Uh, with, I mean, he didn't chat that much with players. I mean, he did, with, you know, from the other team, but, uh, but he just wasn't, you know, he was, he was there to, you know, he was focused and he was playing the game. And of course he did that for well, 2000, blah, 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 you know, like games in a row. So it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, is that when someone does like a simple gesture like that, like the shrug of the shoulders, is that considered showing you guys up on the field? Well, you know, the body language is, a thing. Um, you know, I, I remember uh, when uh, um, T- uh, Tulowinski um, came up to the league in, in, in Colorado, very talented guy. Right. Um, but he, you know, he, he, he showed his emotion. He, you know, he showed everything. Right. And, 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 you know, called strikes or, or, uh, you know, pitches. I mean, he just, you know, 
from from his rookie year. I mean, it was a and so I remember uh, after he did you know called strike three and uh, uh, to end the inning and 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 you know the, the, he really didn't say much, but the body language and this and that. And he was coming. I was working the second base. He was coming out the second and uh, you know warming up. And I said, uh, said hey, hey Troy, I said uh, you're a talented dude, man. I mean, you you know you got you're going to have a lot of years in this league. I said. I don't know if you, if you even realize it, but your, your body language is, is not good. <laughs> you know? And I said, you know, you don't need to get a label. You don't need to get, um, you know, uh, branded already early in, you know, first rookie year and early in your career, cause you're going to be around here a long time. Just be aware of it. Just be cognizant. That's all I'm saying. You know, I, you, you can disagree with the pitch. We get that. We it happens all the time. There's a, there's a, there's a real professional way to deal with that. Oh, and there's other ways. Um, and, and so, um, and he goes, Hey, you know, I appreciate that. I think that he, it was almost like he didn't even realize he was doing it. And, and that may be the, be the case, but, um, I think it, you know, cleaned up for about an inning and a half and then it went back. <laughs> but my, 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 my little sermon didn't really help. No, no. But I mean, th- there are times, uh, that, uh, you know, especially as a more senior umpire, you, you might say, Hey, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to be here a long time. Don't get this uh, label that you're just, a an honorary guy every time you'd walk on the field, you know, just, uh, you, you got a lot of talent. Don't, don't, don't have that uh, overshadowed by, by something else, you know? Yeah. That kind of reminds me of, I think it was during the 2016 NLCS. Uh, and I don't off the top of my head, remember what precipitated it, but I remember seeing on the Fox telecast, uh, they mic'd up Anthony Rizzo and there was something that he apologized to Angel Hernandez uh, in one at bat for, I maybe presuming a, bo- a ball is called strike or some or the other right, way around. Right. Uh, and Angel Hernandez like went out of his way to say, "Hey, you're a good dude. We we appreciate that you treat us well. Uh, that's a one time thing. Water under the bridge. Totally cool." Uh, right. And it's it's like something that I mean, obviously Fox plays up conflicts all the time. But that that part of the game is something that you never really see that that kind of mutual respect between you guys and and the players. That right, and and, and it really it really is there. And, and the thing is, is that um, you know there again, we understand the role that we play versus you know a player or a manager or a coach or whatever. But um, you know, if if a guy has approaches you in a, or argues with you in a professional way and is not trying to show you up. It's not trying to just, you know, scream obscenities and, and, and it's not really wanting to talk about anything. He just wants to scream at you, you know, <laughs> or a guy that, that actually just, you know, he doesn't agree. And maybe he does agree. I, I you know, I think I said it in the book, but, but uh, uh, Derek Jeter was a guy who never got ejected, never got ejected uh, in his whole career, which is, you know, amazing really for all the Indians he played and, and, and big games and whatever. But, uh, you know, I, you know, a couple of times I would call him out on strikes and, and he goes, you know, as he's walking on Dale, that ball's outside, the ball's outside. And I, you know, he wasn't a guy that bitched all the time. He wasn't a guy that was always, you know, complaining all the time. So when he's, you know, I thought, Derek, I'll take a look, you know, I'll take a look. I mean, maybe it was, you know, maybe I missed it. I mean, but when it's a guy that's he complains all the time and now he's complaining, you know, you just, it's with a grain of salt because that's all you hear. There's, there's never a good time. You know, it's always, it's always the, uh, the worst. So, so there is a, you know, this game is a lot of personalities as far as officials and, and the participants, because um, you see them all the time and, and year after year, you'll see these guys, um, you know, a lot of times you'll have guys in the minor leagues that are now a few years later, they're, they're coaches or managers, you know, and, 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 you know, Matt Lee was one that comes to mind immediately with, with me. Um, and so, you know, how, how you deal with these guys how I deal with the Tony LaRussa may be completely different how, than how Danny Isonia, my partner, deals with him, uh, because of his, uh, you know, uh, relationship, so to speak, with, with Tony. Um, you know, I might have a guy 
uh, when we go into a Boston, uh, you know, a guy in the Red Sox just doesn't believe a thing I say and, and, and just uh, a pain in the, in the rear. And the other guys get along with the fuck. <laughs> and, and so, or vice versa. So, so you have those types of things uh, through the course of a career in the big leagues. And, and you just, you kind of learn how to, you know, I, I handle this guy this way and this guy this way and this guy this way. And, and that works for me, you know, and, and, and for the, whoever it is. And, and that, and then you just, you learn that and you, and you do it, you know? Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about Ted Williams and how he related to umpires throughout his career? Cause what's that? You mentioned that Jeter never got kicked out. Ted Williams also never got ejected once during his playing career, which for someone who as but, volcanic as he was. Right. Exactly. Something. Uh, but he, maintained always maintained good relationships with every home plate umpire like to a man i think they would always say this guy treated us well like if he complained it was always kind of like jeter was you would never see him like turn to us and complain and what would happen was that he would also then engage umpires in conversation every so often like ah yeah so uh bunning like uh, how how's he looking this year what's what's he got right now and the umpires (laughs) would tell him about like how the slider was going and he ended up using the umpires as like a scouting report for the next series of pitchers coming up, coming to town in Fenway right, right. because he'd established that relationship. And that, right. that's like next level brilliant. Always, I always try to get it back. I remember I was in Boston. With, I, I want to say it was Mo Vaughn, but I'm I, I don't hundred percent sure. But uh, there was a there was a uh, conference on the mound, uh, or oh, they're bringing a new pitcher, and 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 so he looks at me, goes, you know, it's just him and I standing. He goes, so what does this guy throw? And I go. Mostly doubles and triples. <laughs> <laughs> he starts laughing. <laughs> he goes, that's the best answer I've heard yet. <laughs> Can't wait for my next at that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're being honest. <laughs> right, right. And in order to kind of get to that point where, as you say, that you know your relationship to like each specific hitter on the team, you got to really build that umpire confidence year after year. And what struck me about uh, one chapter in particular in the book is talking about, I think it was 1987, your sophomore year, where it hit rock bottom. And I was kind of curious, like, how does that manifest itself on the field when you just run out of confidence for lack of a well you know it's and it's a combination of things it's a combination of things where i was still new uh, in the league i was my second year um so you have that part of the the, the issue um and then you have um you know where i um my confidence as the season was going and as i was you know you know, just not doing well, missing pitches here or, or perceived to miss pitches when they didn't, but, but they don't, you know, I mean, it just seemed like it's a snowball going down the hill. The more you try to lift yourself up and, and doing the things that you have been taught and, and, uh, and that kind of thing, it seemed like it got worse and worse. And, 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 you know, how it manifests itself is that you go out there every day I wouldn't say you're scared. You're just, um, you have no confidence. Um, you don't, you don't trust your instincts anymore. You don't trust your judgment anymore. Um, and you know, if I had a close steel play and called a guy out and nobody even reacted, I thought, Oh my God, just, what, what was that? You know? Um, but, but, uh, and, and, and that kind of feeds on itself too, because again, the players, they're, they're like sharks in the water, man. They smell blood. And, 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 and especially with a young guy, um, they, they will, they will pounce on that and just really work it. And, and, and there were times that, that year, I mean, I'd call a pitch right down the, right down the middle of strike and I'll get, you know, he'd say something and I'm, you know, now I'm thinking, you know, I, I know that's a good pitch, but, um, you know, you're not being fair, but maybe, I don't know. What did I see? I mean, you just, it, it just eats at your, it just eats at you over and over. And so it was, that was not a good year. 
And and as as I say, and I've said it way before the book, Marty Springstead saved my career because he he saw somebody that has some potential that was drowning, and and he's instead of instead of unfortunately Dick Butler right before him wouldn't have had this react. You know, oh, I, that was a bad pick. This guy's horrible. You know, <laughs> um, you know, Marty said we got to change things because this may cost you your job if we don't, but I'm going to be right here with you and we're going to get it changed and we're going to work together. And, you know, and you, you, you put faith in me, I'm, I'm putting faith in you and let's get this done. And, and he was able to pull me out of the abyss, as they say. <laughs> yeah. It feels like, I mean, you talk about what Dick Butler's reaction would have been. That feels like a very like 1980s baseball reaction to me right here. Right. That, and it seemed like the attitude of that era was, well, this is the big leagues kid. If you can't crack it, there are other people. <laughs> Uh, right, right, and then and then who you work with, uh, the crew that you're uh, with, it, it plays. I mean, because there's some guys. It's just like anything. Uh, there are good teachers and and not you know maybe not as good a teacher. Or they, doesn't mean they're not good umpires, but they're just not. They don't pick up the nuances and stuff during a game or you know where certain guy, Rich Garcia, Joe Brinkman. Um, uh, uh, they they. I mean, there. Sometimes I wondered. Richie, didn't you have enough to do on, you know, working the plate? You, you saw me do this over here. You saw me do this over here. I mean, you know, it's just they have this vision that some guys just don't have. And again, it doesn't reflect on their work as an umpire, but it's it, a younger guy, especially a guy that's uh, struggling. And that's why I was with Richie from my third, fourth, fifth and seventh years, you know, after that um, to turn things around, because it, that also helps the, you know, support you during the season when 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 things are. Uh, not going as well as as you'd hope. So you know, and umpires in a way we get a slump every once in a while. It's like a hitter or something else. I mean, it's just it's a long season. It's a marathon, and uh, um, you know, and sometimes that baseball when you're behind the plate looks like a beach ball. And I mean, it just it's, you know, and other times it's a BB. It's like where is it? I don't know where it's at. You know, I mean, it's just hard to pick up or something. And, and you never you never quite know why. It, it, you know, it just it just is, and, and I think that's just because we're human, frankly. That's, that's fascinating to hear you use that analogy because you hear that from hitters all the time about, yeah, sometimes it's as big as a beach ball and that's when I hit 500 for a week and sometimes right. it's a golf ball. Or, uh, and I never think about that in terms of it makes all the sense in the world that the person behind the plate who's in charge of determining balls or strikes would have that perception as well sometimes. Well, you know, and then again, not excuses, just reality. Sometimes you have that day game and the background is horrible. You know, the sun, a certain, uh, I had a, in 97, I had the uh, divisional series. I had the uh, Mariners at Baltimore uh, game four. Um, and, uh, Randy Johnson's throwing for the Mariners, and it was a, I believe, a three o'clock start. You know, TV tells us when to start all these games, right? Three o'clock start in early October. Well, there's a silver building in Baltimore that usually doesn't come into play unless you're six <laughs> ten <laughs> and left-handed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the first few innings, uh, Randy Johnson, that ball was coming out of this with, with the sun kind of you know angle on it. Out of the silver building. I mean, the cat warming up the catcher goes, Oh, geez, I can't. <laughs> this is awful, you know. Uh-huh. And it, it was just a struggle. You just to, to pick up the ball and to see the ball. Um, and again, you know, nobody really talks about that, you know. And it, it certainly isn't, you know, if, if you have if you miss a pitch, you can't look and go, Hey, the, the, the building, it's the building. Yeah, I couldn't see it. Yeah, we're good, you know. <laughs> you know I mean, it just doesn't, uh, that's you know, but that's just reality. And and so sometimes you don't pick up the ball or you don't see the ball that well because it's tough to see uh, or the shadows, or whatever. Of course, usually that's not all game, it's just a few innings or whatever. But there's so many factors that play into it. And for hitters and, you know, the catchers, 
uh, also, and you really hope they catch it. <laughs> it's really, really imperative. So there's so many things, uh, factors that that can play into uh, whatever's going on out there. And a lot of it, quite frankly, I don't think people think about unless they've been out there. Right. Right. Because I mean, especially when you're watching on TV, all you can see is the, the reverse angle over the pitcher's shoulder. So you have <laughs> right. no concept of you're, you're looking from that silver <laughs> blade. <laughs> God, I mean, and you think too, in terms of like just pure happenstance, like you mentioned, I, I was in uh, the 97 division series and like my, my brain immediately went, Oh my God. Like, were you there for the Eric Gregg strike zone that year? <laughs> uh, Cause like, that's right. that's the most notorious, uh, right? Well, uh, we were still American National League then, so right. Uh, right. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, it, it it's funny too when, it, it, like you just said, I, I mentioned '97 Divisional Series. Your mind <laughs> went to, yeah. you know, went to that situation. Um, isn't baseball wild, man? I mean, you 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 throw out a a year or a, a time or, or whatever it is, and a, and a real fan that kind of follows the stuff, they are right now they're picking up on it may not be exactly what you're talking about but they're picking up on something that that is in that time frame and mm-hmm. and uh, uh baseball uh fans are are uh, remarkable at doing that yeah my, my brain is really good for conversations like this uh grinder not so much so <laughs> no one there wants to hear about eric greg and how he called upon hernandez this yeah that that's not impressive uh, no <laughs> it's a, it would be so good if it were uh, <laughs> why can't we combine that yeah uh, and I, I guess to kind of tie that back into what, what we were talking about, about your 87 sophomore year, that was, I mean, going through something like that already is professional hell. And I completely understand that. On top of that, I mean, you had made a decision many years before to essentially remain in the closet professionally, just in order to kind of make sure you could continue doing your job. Right. Were there any points during that season where you're like, you know, this just isn't worth me suppressing myself anymore. Uh, no, you know, even, even as difficult as that year was and as, as uh, low, I, I, you know, uh, as I got, and then, you know, going to instructionally for a week in Sarasota and then going for a month to, uh, to winter ball, which it's just unheard of a, a two year umpire doing that. And, you know, like I said in the book, there, there, you know, the union gave me a little flack about that. Well, why'd you do that? And I said, why do it? I, why I did it? Because something had to change. I mean, you, you got to be honest with yourself in this, in this, in this game as an umpire. You, you can't, if you start lying to yourself and, and telling yourself that you're doing great when you're not, or, you know, I got that, that guy was out when everybody else can see. I mean, you know, you got to be honest with yourself. So, um, but even though I was that, it had gotten that low, I, I, I never, uh, you know, I never uh, considered, you know, walking away or I never considered, you know, I, I, I was going to, they were going to have to tell me to leave basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily that didn't happen, but um, you know, it, w- w- which is really, um, you know, that was happening in my professional life at the same time, at the same time that year, 87, it was the first, because uh, Mike and I met in 80 in, in uh, October 86. So this was during our first, uh, you know, our newlywed <laughs> uh, year, uh, we bought a house. Uh, um, I, I, I literally, um, you know, uh, came back or uh, signed papers to go, you know, for the house and, and it was all official. And then I went to the Dominican <laughs> for a month. Um, you know, so it, it, my private life, things were great. Things were going great. You know, uh, um, you know, it, it couldn't have been better professionally. I was struggling like a big dog. So it's, it, you know, and as I've you know, you read it. I, as I've said, I can I can compartmentalize pretty well. I mean, I, I can, uh, 
Um, you know, I was just used to doing that. I, that's what I did. I, I had to do that to survive. And, and, and so I was pretty good at it. I don't know if that means that's good or bad. Maybe I'm a psycho and I can just do that. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but, uh, but I am able to do that. And, 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 and that got me through that or helped get me through that also just be able to, uh, you know, separate the, you know, my personal life and, and, and professional life and just pray that the professional life will, will work itself out. And eventually it did. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily psycho so much as just being gay during the Reagan era. Like, let's, let's be don't honest. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, no. I, w- I was, you know, a gay seven, eight-year-old at that time. So, like, I right. barely had comprehension of, of anything. I, I can't, I, I mean, it's, it's one thing to read about what everybody who lived through that went through and to hear your stories. But, I mean, I have to imagine it's another thing entirely to actually have lived the damn thing. Well, you know, and, and I mean, the, the 80s were, were my 20s. I turned 20 in August of 79. So the 80s were my 20s. And mm-hmm. and it was a, you know, as everyone, you know, as your 20s are, I mean, it's a it's a, a decade of growth and of, uh, you know, trial and error and of uh, disappointments and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. But it, it's, it's a decade of learning about life. And, and, and you know, and, and trust me that uh, that was going on as it would in the 20s. And then you throw in the fact of this, you know, horrendous uh, uh, AIDS crisis that started right when I was starting my professional career, and and a, and a president that uh, um, obviously wasn't concerned. Um, it, it, you know, again, when you're in it and you're living it, you're just trying to survive and, and move forward and try to do the right thing and trying to figure it all out. Uh, when you look back at it, you just go, man, oh man, you know. First of all, how did you survive it? And and a lot of people, unfortunately, did not. And 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 you just think you realize you knew it was bad uh, you know the we didn't have a real for us a real good president but, but you you knew that then but then you look back and you realize even even more so how how horrendous it was although ken let's be honest with you reagan all there now would almost be a, a you know a, a, a reprieve from yeah. some of these uh other but we, it's not a political show We're not <laughs> go ahead by all means like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's part of that's it's the Overton window that uh, you live through Reagan. You think you look back and go, well, that shouldn't have been as traumatic as it was, but we survived good. And then Bush pushes it a little further, and then we have forty five, and yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And I mean yeah. it's it's good that we look back and think, well, we we made it, we survived. But you also look back and go, we should not have had to go through that to survive. Yeah, it could, the 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 uh, we could have steered our our way through that way differently and much more successfully. I think. Yeah, and in the middle of all that, uh, and I made mention in my review of the book that my my favorite part might have been uh, the two chapters where you make you get the call uh, that you have made the American League roster for the first time. And, and at that point, you know, I'm reading and like, I'm almost cheering at that point. Like, it's, it's, uh, Dale Scott, my guy made it. Yes, that's your thing. And then the very next chapter, you start talking about moving uh, from your parents' house to Portland and, and go right into that story. Because that one right there, that was the feels for me. Well, you know, uh, I finally, you know, I've been living uh, with my parents uh, for, well, ever since I went to umpire school. But the, the fact of the matter is I wasn't home very much, you know, frankly. I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, at, you had the baseball season, then I would have instructional league or I would have, uh, um, you know, the Dominican for a couple tours of duty uh, and, and that kind of stuff. And 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 so finally, then I got the American League job, you know, uh, on April 1st, April Fool's Day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, work that. So finally I'm done. Finally, I, in, in October of, 
of, uh, of, of uh, 1986. I'm, I'm finished. And I now have, I'm, I now I'm on salary. I have a job. I don't have to go to work until March. Uh, I, I, my goal has been met. I, I, I mean, I, I made it to the big leagues and it was my first off season off, uh, completely off, uh, in a long, long time. And it, it was certainly the first off season that I had money. Um, and you know, you know, baseball is great because they take our salary, you know, over 12 months. So you're getting paid all these months. You're not even working. It's like, Oh, whoa, I like this. Um, so I had a decision to make. The decision was, am I going to move out of my parents? Yes. As soon as possible. <laughs> and I love my parents. Right. But, uh, um, you know, I'm, you know, 27 years old and, uh, a gay man. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I need to get out of my parents. So I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Eugene is a lovely city, uh, college town with the ducks and everything, but the gay life there is, um, you know, not, not, not great. Uh, I had gone to Portland a lot with, uh, with my friend, Doug, and we went there all the time. Um, and I had a few friends there, but it was, to me, Portland was just, you know, so much fun. It was only a hundred miles away. It was great. I had thought about Seattle, Seattle, because they're in the league. I'd, I'd be there a couple times a year. I know a lot of people in Seattle, but I, you know, I liked the city and that stuff, but really the Portland was number one. So I, you know, I'm moving up there and all I'm thinking about is, you know, getting a townhouse and, uh, and, you know, having, you know, you got to run, say it's early October. I don't go to work till March. I got a lot of time. And, I, you know, like a 27-year-old gay man, I'm thinking, I'm going to have so much fun. There's got to be so many, uh, you know, unlike Eugene, so many uh, gentlemen to uh, meet and talk to and, and, and converse with. Um, the last thing on my mind, uh, the, I mean, it's not even on the radar, is getting into a relationship. That's a, that, that, that would, I mean, again, I'm not even thinking about anything like that. And I'll be damned. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the night I get there and I'm staying with this friend, uh, Terry, um, before I, you know, the next day I'm going out to look at these uh, townhouses and figure out which one I want or whatever. Uh, we go get a bite to eat. Hey, let's get a beer at, uh, at Slaughter's. Um, it's a Monday night, you know, not, not much going on. It's, it's 8.30, 9 o'clock. You know, it's just, let's just go have a beer. It's no big deal. And there was nobody there, like we figured. A couple bartenders that were bored because there's nobody there. There's a couple of people at the bar, a couple of people over here. And this uh, one lesbian that was out on the floor doing the Elaine, which we didn't know was the Elaine yet, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's exactly what of her time. <laughs> Very bizarre. Anyway, I'm, I'm there with Terry, having a beer, and here walks in these two gentlemen, and one of them is Mike. And immediately, well, you know, we make eye contact. Immediately, hit this. I mean, he still does have this killer smile, and I'm just like, who is that guy? You know, um, <laughs> and so I, you know, and, and like I said, there's nobody there. So now, you know, we're he's having a, a beer with his friend kind of over on the side and we keep making eye contact, kind of watching this girl doing the Elaine, um, <laughs> you know, and then looking and laughing kind of blah, blah, blah. So um, finally I go over and, you know, I want to buy him a drink and, and, you know, get his name and stuff. And uh, you know, uh, he, 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 <laughs> he told me after the fact, he goes, I really thought you were cool. I really like, I, I was not going to screw this up. And, do what I usually do, you know. <laughs> so, so he said, "Listen, I, I can't." You know, I said, "Hey, do you want to go uh, out? Do you know tonight? Do you know, whatever?" No, no, I can't. I'm with my friend. I got to work tomorrow. Uh, just come by for lunch. I can. I, I, I. That night, I thought. I, I mean, I wasn't thinking. Okay, I'm going to be with him the rest of my life. But I, but I, I thought I was very interested in this guy, and I, I wanted to know more about him, and I was looking forward to the next day. Uh, to seeing him. And, and next day I go for a late lunch, like at two o'clock and he was at a restaurant, which is good because he wasn't busy. 
um, and had lunch. And then I was going to go check out this townhouse. He, I said, uh, he said, come, come by when you get off of work at five. Sure. Boom. I, I see the townhouse. I put money down. Boom. I get the keys. I come back. And, and now we're going to, <laughs> now we're going to go around the corner to this uh, place. Uh, it's been there forever. The VC. And, and I, and he has Heidi with him, this, this girl that works with him, and which I was like, why are you bringing Heidi with you? I mean, she's warm, <laughs> but I, you know, why, why we have a, is she a chaperone? You know? mm-hmm. well, of course I come to find out later why, but uh, <laughs> we, we sit down, we have a drink. I, I get up to go to the restroom. I come back and Heidi's gone. And I said, what happened? Oh, she had to leave, you know? Well, as, as I said in the book, the, uh, he tells me later, he said, I had Heidi come with me. I, I said, Heidi, I really like this guy. I want a second opinion. I just don't want to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. We go to VC. When I, when I uh, went to the restroom, he looks right at my says, he's perfect. What's huh. wrong? There's, there's nothing wrong with him. If you don't fuck him, I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, there's your second opinion, Mike. <laughs> and and, and uh, 35 years later, Heidi's there spot on. Nailed it. Yeah. 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 And, like, and, but, but again, suddenly I'm in a, in a relationship that I, that I never dreamed about. It was the last thing on my, on my agenda. So you just never know when that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the experience of reading that in the book, like, as I say, it was right after the chapter where your professional life just went up 10 levels. <laughs> right. And I think it was like somewhere in the narrative of where you dropped, like, I never in, I was not intending to meet anybody long-term just going out for a drink. And I read that and I thought, Oh my God, he's about to meet Mike. (laughs) And like, I just, as a personal thing, like one of my favorite mushy gay things is I love gay meet cutes. Like there is nothing I like more than putting the last 15 minutes of love Simon on and just bawling my eyes out. (laughs) And like that, that, slaughters that one gay bar in Portland. Like as soon as you walked in and talked about uh, Mike walking in uh, for the first time, like that was like, that's your Simon and Bram getting together on the Ferris wheel. And oh, yep. man, did that hit me right there. Oh, love it, it. You know, and I mean, you hear, you always hear love at first sight and stuff. And, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it happened. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> because, you know, and, and again, not... I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be with this, you know, in 35 years now, I'm going to be talking to Ken about this. You know, I, I mean, that, that wasn't really, but, but, but I just knew, uh, you know, there was something there mm-hmm. and, and I wanted to find out more. And, and, and I would, you know, the anticipation the next day just to go, uh, you know, have lunch there was, was, um, you know, just up there. So, I, so, you know, uh, and he's been my rock. I mean, mm-hmm. he's uh, during that 87 season, which was the first season we had together. I mean, I, um, you know, that was the thing we meet in October. I don't go to work till March. I, I, and I keep telling him, Mike, <laughs> in a few weeks, I'm going to be gone for weeks at a time. I mean, it's all fun games now, but I'm going to be gone for weeks at a time. And anyway, I just I was trying to kind of gear him for that mindset um, cause it's an all or nothing thing with baseball. And, uh, uh, and then I have the season I have, uh, it's his first one experiencing any of this. And I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> crawling through the mud, trying to get through this thing. And, and then the, you know, the Dominican and stuff, and he, he was a rock he, and, 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 and has been the entire time. So I can't say enough about him. He, you know, he, he's, he's put up with me, so I'm <laughs> pretty happy. I mean, yeah, in retrospect, you look at it after, right after that, going into the, your sophomore season, that that's the universe doing you a solid. That, that yeah, yeah, solid. yeah, absolutely. I, that is a great point because that 87 season, if I, if I didn't have somebody that, I, even though it might have been, you know, several hundred miles, thousands of miles away, 
to talk to on the phone or, or just to just to vent or just to have somebody listen to me that actually maybe didn't care, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, uh, I mean that, that would have made that season. It was rough enough. That would have been, uh, uh, so much worse. So yeah, it, uh, it, it, it was a, uh, it was an omen or something that said, uh, you're, you're going to have a tough year. So we're going to let you meet Mike, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At, at what point, cause you mentioned that he was not a baseball fan at all when you met him, that at what no. point did you, uh, understand that he started getting at least getting the baseball thing, uh, or at least enough of it to, well, you know, what's funny, Kenny, um, uh, Mike has, um, uh, one of those, he, he, he could read people and he, 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 he knows a lot about a lot of things and, and he may not uh, <clears throat> totally, uh, you know, follow baseball, but he understands people. And like when I would have, um, you know, situations where maybe, uh, uh, somebody on the crew that uh, was some friction or, or maybe uh, uh, you know, the, uh, I might, they changed my schedule. And this is like, especially when I was early in my career, um, somebody changed my, or I got my schedule changed and, and, and I was supposed to be on the West coast and get a couple of days off at home. And now I'm in Toronto and Baltimore and not even close. And I would be upset or whatever. He, he always had a way, even though I didn't necessarily understand the, the, the nuts and bolts of it all, he reads people and he has a way of, of, uh, of, of just saying very wise things. And, 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 and it's, it's uncanny. I've told him that before. Um, we have friends that, you know, it's like, uh, they'll come to him for advice just because he has it, you know? And so it's, uh, it's, um, you know, I'm lucky that way. I'm, 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 I'm not only was it is a rock that, uh, somebody I could lean on, an 87 is somebody that I could, you know, that, that really helped me through it. But he, he is, he has surprised me time and time again with some really um, insightful, uh, uh, you know, advice or uh, warnings <laughs> or, or, or whatever uh, that, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, they come true. I've even said, you know, in my mind going, that's not going to happen. That's, you know, I mean, I appreciate, you know, <laughs> and then he's right. You know, <laughs> it's like, why don't you do that with Powerball numbers? I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, they do, he does it for the Powerball of life. <laughs> there, there you go. I, I must be the Powerball. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's that's a T-shirt right there. Honestly, <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's my next book. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I buy it. Yeah. Um, and I, I forget if you mentioned this during the book as well. Did he? Was he one of the people who gave you warnings during uh, the ill-fated Richie Phillips mass resignation uh, saga for the Umpires Union? <laughs> Well, he didn't, he didn't give me warnings, but he, he, um, you know, he, he, again, he was very insightful in some of the, some of the things that, that we talked about. That was, uh, you know, I talked about 87, the, you know, low point in my career, as far as on the field and, and my, uh, you know, it just has a nuts and bolts of working a game and being an umpire. The 99 debacle labor debacle was a low point in my professional career, just because it was, uh, you know, I, it was just a mess is what it was. And it, 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 it severed relationships with, with guys or, or, or certainly wounded them. Um, and it was, you know, I was always, a the umpire union had done a lot of good things for umpires and the 79 strike being the, the pinnacle of it when they had basically nothing. And they finally, after, you know, uh, uh, you know, they, they earned it, uh, but they finally were able to, you know, get uh, some decent salaries and, and work benefits and stuff, which we've, you know, we've built on. Uh, and that was Richie Phillips. Uh, that was, that was uh, like a year after he had taken over the, the union. 
And that was the highlight. And he had done, he, he, you know, he was there about 20 years and his, his first uh, 10 years, he did a lot of, he helped us a lot. The last 10 years, uh, th- you know, things were changing and, th- and, and, and by 99, this, this was just a, it was, I've heard that to resign from your job as a way to stimulate, uh, you know, something else. Um, I have heard it's, it's taught in, in law schools as uh, what not to do, you know, one of the worst <laughs> labor uh, strategies ever. I don't know if that's true, but it was a tough, tough year. Um, and I, I, I worked with Joe Brinkman that year, which he was one of the main uh, guys to trying to get a new union and, and pull away from Richie. And so um, yeah, I learned a lot just from him uh, and some of the meetings we had and, 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 and just observing more than anything, you know, and, and hearing what, you know, cause he was constantly on the phone. He was, I mean, things, uh, you know, that, that was, it was just a tough year, but Mike during that time, you know, again, he, he can listen to what I have to say or, you know, what's going on and, you know, my uh, thoughts or my, you know, uh, if I'm angry about this or I'm curious about this or whatever, and he's been able to just kind of decipher that. And he, it's, it's like I said, it's just amazing how he can come up with something that, that uh, uh, in a topic they really doesn't know anything about. I mean, you know, uh, and, and, and come up with, you know, some advice or, or, or say something. I'll just go, oh, who are you? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so I can't say enough about, uh, about him and, and how he's helped me throughout this entire uh, you know, a career that I've had because it's not, you know, I mean, just like anything else, you, I mean, not, not even talking about 87 as an umpire, um, any sports official, really, you have to have confidence when your confidence gets, gets dented. I like a player. I mean, you have to have confidence, but when it, when it gets hurt, when it's hurting, when it's uh, lacking, maybe for whatever reasons, um, you, you, you need that support system, both, both in the profession and, you know, just personally as somebody that you can trust and talk to, uh, to, to help, work, you know, work, work your way through that. And, 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 and he's been there through all of that stuff and he's seen me uh, at my worst and he's seen me at my best and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and he's been able to himself maneuver through all that stuff too, you know, as, as somebody, and, and, and I, and I have to give it up to umpire spouses in general, because you're gone a lot, you're gone a lot. And when you have, when you have families and kids and you're missing the soccer game and you're missing the recital and you're missing this and missing that, and uh, you know, it, it, it can really eat at you uh, on the road and it's tough for the spouse and, and, and at home too, trying to, you know, uh, herd cats, like, so to speak, uh, you know, while, while, while you're gone for weeks of time. So, um, you know, that, that part, again, not looking for sympathy. It's just, that's the nature of the job. We're not home 81 games like a, like a team is. So we, we, we have to make uh, you know, our sacrifices and our and, and make our decisions in that uh, playing field, and that's you know that's what we do. Yeah, and it's an emotional demand too. I mean, you're in a job where your job is to unfortunately be abused from people like me for three <laughs> hours at a time. Uh, and so when you're you know when you go home to Mike, it's like I I I need love. I just right. need somebody right. to to give me. It, and it's God bless you guys for making that work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, t- I mean, it, it's a challenge, but we met it. You know, it's funny though, every year, every year, about, about two weeks before I'm leaving for spring training, we, we kind of get in the dull <laughs> because we know what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and a season, you know, is, is a marathon. It's not uh, when, when you're in late February, about ready to go to spring training, October seems like six years away. I mean, it's just a long <laughs> ways away. Um you know, so and even though we had done this every year, boom, boom, over and over again, you still kind of go through that little emotional roller coaster right before the season starts. You know, 
conversely, when I'm finally done in October, it almost takes about a week and a half, two weeks for us to kind of get back on track because he's so used to being there <laughs> alone, you know, or not, not around. I'm so used to being on the road doing, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden here we are back again. It's not, it's not like we don't know each other. We've known each other for years, but you, there's still that uh, week and a half, two weeks, you kind of get that. I'm still getting back to the flow that I'm not going somewhere every three days or two days. And, um, you know, so it's, it's funny. It, it, it happened to, it happened every year, even though we would say, Oh, we're used to it. Well, well this, you know, this will be easy. Well, <laughs> it's easier, but it's not necessarily easy. Yeah. I, I think in a situation like that, and this is just, you know, pure conjecture off the top of my head, but it's something that is probably really stressful and weird for the first couple of times. And then even though you keep going through it after that, it's like, you can understand at least identify, well, okay, this is this, you know, 10 days after I get home, this is what happens every time. Right. It's got to kind of power through, endure it, and we'll get right. back to normal life after that. So, Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because you've been through it. You know what it is, mm-hmm. but you just really can't prevent it. Right. Right. <laughs> it's the game, Dale. Right. It's the game, baby. <laughs> uh, one more other thing I want to touch on about uh, that the mass resignation strategy, because I don't want to belabor it too much, obviously, I guess now pun unintended, but whatever. Um, but and the last time we talked on the podcast, uh, we spent so much of our discussion with you talking about how even when you were publicly in the closet, when uh, colleagues like Ron Culpa found out they were so supportive and so immensely behind you, it was right. such an uplifting thing. And what stuck out to me about your narrative as the umpires union dissolved around that, that resignation strategy was that was the one instance where you mentioned somebody uh, within the union threatened to out you uh, when... Mm-hmm things were going on like that. That was the one instance where uh, it was like, oh, someone is using your sexuality weaponized against you in the game. And is that an outlier for, for that, that time period in your life? Or how did that strike you when that happened? Well, it, it, it angered me. Yeah. Um, it, it, um, it didn't intimidate me. It angered me. It, it, it angered me that someone would, within our uh, you know, umpires are a fraternity or, or a brotherhood um, for the most part. You know, I mean, we we have that mentality a little bit. You know, it's us against the world when we go out there. And a lot of times it seems like it is because, you know, it's uh, when the shit hits the fan and it's just you four out there that's got to deal with this and try to, you know, try to get through it. And when everybody else is, you know, not not happy. But um, uh, so it angered me that somebody within this brotherhood, within within this these ranks would, would you know, threaten to stoop that low. Um, um the same person um, also threatened to, um, shall we say, there was a, an umpire that maybe was uh, having some fun outside his marriage, um, and he threatened to uh, tell his wife about that. <clears throat> now that's that's just um, not not cool, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean to, to use that, and it was all because uh, we, um, you know, rescinded our resignation, and we we weren't going along with the Richie Phillips uh, line, and 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 we we weren't going along with it because we just wanted to not go along with it. We weren't going along with it because it was going to fail, uh, you know, and, and it was it was doomed to failure. Even if we had all stuck together, it was doomed to failure. So, um, you know, it was just a tough, tough time, and and it broke down. It wasn't exactly, but it broke down basically American League nationally. I mean, it was uh, um, you know there was some a, a few National League that that weren't on the Phillips boat and a few American league that, that were, but for the most part, it, it kind of broke down that way, uh, which was kind of a festering thing in a way for a long time. Um, um, you know, I kind of touched on it, you know, 
you know, somebody that I went to same went to umpire school the same year, went through the minor leagues kind of the same time. And suddenly I went to the American League, they went to the National League, and they're just superior. They're just better. Uh, the National League is always better than the American League. I don't know if that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 I, I think. I think the origins maybe is because it was the junior circuit way back when. And it just, it was like, they just never quit, you know, uh, were quite what the National League was. I don't know, but, but it, but it, it de- definitely felt like that once you went, uh, you got an NL patch instead of an NL patch, you were indoctrinated as an NL umpire. And, you know, I, like I said in the book that, you know, when you were about to merge, I, in 2000 spring training, I said, Hey, what are some of the National League uh, clubhouse guys? You know, some are better than others. I mean, what are some of the, the bad ones, the national, we don't have any bad ones. They're all good. <laughs> what? You don't have one bad, one, one bad, you know, I mean, we, you know, we have, we have two or three, but we, I mean, it's not a whole bunch of them, but we had a couple, you know, no, nope, they're all good. Well, that was a bunch of bullshit because I, you know, <laughs> first time I went to Cincinnati, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the guy that at that time was there, you know, was, I guess he was a clubhouse guy. You never saw him. Never, never, nothing ever happened. So, I mean, yeah. um, Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, I could name a few. And again, just the fact it, it, it's okay that you didn't have all good, you know, but it was just like, like a uh, uh, thought process that everything was better. It's just better and bigger and we're, you know, and that kind of stuff. So um, we I, I finally, you, I'm, I'm reading that and I'm going, wait, no, you're telling me that, that Bruce Fremming is kind of pompous. No, <laughs> Joe West full of himself. No, come on. <laughs> You know, and, and it's it, it was funny, Ken, is because when when we when we were going to combine in two thousand, all right, most of the American League guys who were f- for it, all for it, uh, or at least just their biblical, whatever, and 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 almost every national guy was against it. Now, a lot just to, just to, uh, on practical purposes, you know, I was working with Dave, Davey Phillips and stuff, and uh, you know, in the late nineties, and we were for it because they had pitchers that tried to get out. <laughs> they would have that bats where they actually, I want to get out now. <laughs> and, and, and we never had that, you know, uh, Tim, well, I worked with Tim Welke. Uh, I was the two man on his crew in 2000. We opened in Toronto and then we went to Mon- uh, Montreal. And so that was our first, and the Padres were there. So that was our first uh, series, national league series. Right. And I had the second game on the plate. It was a Saturday afternoon game. <laughs> Remember, I think in that game, and I could be wrong here with the numbers, but it seemed like there was like three sacrifice bunts and you know by pitchers in that in that game. Um, and you know, and we came in after the game. I said, Tim, did you see that? <laughs> they were trying to get out. <laughs> so they, they're actually trying to get. I mean, we were we were laughing, but it was just it was so foreign. You you rarely saw a sacrifice bunt in, in the American League. Um, you certainly didn't see two or three a game. Um and it, you know, and, and then that's just a kind of a fun uh, look at it. But but we, you know, we were all for let's let's you know let let them work some DH games. <laughs> Here's another story I could tell you about. Uh, yeah. uh, Dave, uh, Davey uh, Johnson. Davey Johnson was the Mets and the Dodgers, but he also went to he, he uh, managed uh, Baltimore. Right. And so one day he came out with the lineups. I was working with Davey Phillips. And as he's about three or four steps from it, he goes, I sure as hell hope you guys get paid more than the National League. <laughs> and, and Davey kind of perks up and goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, these games take forever. <laughs> he goes, it's insane, you know? And 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 it, it, it was. I mean, the, the game times were just, you know, the National League was pitching the defense. And, and, and you look at the seven, eight, nine hitters, of course, the nine being the pitcher. 
you look at the American League, um, you don't have a lot of defense. Can you hit? <laughs> and, and, and you look at the seven, eight, nine hitters in, in, in the American League. I mean, it, it was it just was a different it was the same game, but it was a different game. And um, um, so so when we combined, we were all for it. But, and I can see where the National League guys go. No, we don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, that, that always kind of fascinated me as a kid. Like, you know, I'm a Cub fan, so I'm a National League guy. And just kind of comparing, like, even just looking at the box scores, it was amazing how just that one position made the National League game such a better pace. Like, you could count on Cubs games going, you know, two and a half hours at most. And it was like, you know, David Ortiz is personally responsible for for 30 (laughs) extra minutes at least in every game. It's unbelievable. And and I I found once I was working National League games, the 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 one thing that we didn't have is that if the if the pitcher was the last out or happened to be on base, because he's got to take his time and he has to go back to die and he's got to do it. We didn't have that, you know. And the, the third out, the pitcher's out because he he wasn't even you know close to a batting uh, rack. So, um, you know, so so then I thought, well, now they're delaying it because you know, I mean, I mean, I love the fact that the pitcher hits, but you got to go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go a little bit. Yes. Uh, so one final question while I still have you here, and this is just a very personal question for me. At, uh, so my favorite player of all time ever since I was five years old has been Ryan Sandberg. Uh, okay. I am a Ryan Sandberg nerd, was there for his Hall of Fame induction, number of retirement, and for untold number of home runs during his actual playing career. And going through your list of ejections at the back of the book, uh, I noticed that he's not in there. Uh, and you were umpiring during the time where he was managing the Phillies, and would actually, you know, say a word or two during the game. Uh, so I, I was just curious, did you ever have any interactions with him on the field that, uh, or have any impressions of him as a manager? He, he, he rarely, argued. when I had him, he rarely argued. He rarely talked. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, um, I don't remember the pitcher. He had a starting pitcher. Uh, again, I'm trying to remember the visiting team that was in Philadelphia, but they, uh, before we started, before the first pitch, uh, he came, the manager of the OT came out and said, we think he's got substance on his glove, uh, the hmm. starting pitcher for Philly. <clears throat> so I signaled Danny to come in cause we always want to have a witness when we go into this stuff. Um, I told, you know, Sandberg to come out because it's, we're going to go check his glove and stuff. And so I went in there and, um, uh, as it turned out, uh, it, it was fine. I mean, there was, it was like a stained area, but it wasn't a substance. But, uh, I remember telling right, you know, I, I said, we went out here because we're going to, we're going to check his, his, his glove and, and, and we're going to check his hat, you know? And, and, um, you know, he said, okay, <laughs> you know? so I, we did it. I go, I go, you know, if you find something and, and it, you know, and he goes, oh, no, no. Okay. Okay. You know, I mean, he's, he was very quiet. Ryan was just very quiet. I, I don't, I didn't have him as a player. I had him once in a while in the spring training game, um, you know, in Arizona, but, um, but as a manager, he was, he was, you know, at least when we had him, he was, he was pretty quiet. I'm trying to remember an argument with, him. I don't think I ever had an argument. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cause that kind of, I mean, that checks yeah. out the way he was for his entire playing career. And I do know that there were, like, I can find clips of, from MLB.com of him going at it with umpires every now and again. Right, right. And I always got kind of the impression that he was, like, almost trying to overdo that as if to kind of compensate for what everybody expected from him. Well, like, it wasn't his personality, really, but right. it, was, it, was, it was something that he felt he had to do or, or show right. or something. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's how I would read that quite frankly, with the, with the uh, experiences that I had with him, if he was all of a sudden just going a little bit goofy, I'd be going, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> like in, in a situation like that, do you almost like 
refuse to kick him out of the game? Like, I'm not giving you the satisfaction? (laughs) Well, it all depends on the situation, really. Um, Not not so much you refuse to, but it's just... uh, you know, it, it sounds, I mean, and, and as you read, it, you know, sometimes guys will go goofy and they're, they're, they're not trying to get kicked out at all. I mean, they're, they're, you know, uh, it's, it's well, not, God, it's, it doesn't have Tom the Kelly time, but is the Tom Kelly. Yeah. That, that yeah. was, that was, that was one of the funnier ones. I, I, you know, I, I mean, when I watched, when I would watch the video of that, I go, why didn't I run him? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just, but, uh, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying not to laugh, you know, um, and, you know, the Terry Collins one, you know, you got to throw me out. I said, well, you got to do something. Oh, you want me to do something? <laughs> takes, <laughs> takes his ad and about 20 feet. I said, well, that's good. Yeah. That'll be good. <laughs> Terry Collins is like, I take requests. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I had it with the Mets in, in Atlanta and it was a catch, no catch. Um, you know, before replay and all that stuff. And, uh, and, you know, he's arguing and arguing. And I, I said, I, I said, Terry, you know, this is what we have. Do you want to get run? He goes, well, I don't give a shit. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> said, all right. <laughs> as long as we're okay with it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, you can sometimes in an argument, you just, you say, listen, this is this. Okay. You, you said your piece, you know what we're going to do now it's time to move on. So do you want me to run you or do you want to stay? Cause if you're going to stay, we're, you know, we're, we're going to start playing again. You know, mm-hmm. just give them the option. It's just like, you know, whatever you want to do, do it now because we have to get going. <laughs> yeah. And that's that 30 years of confidence that you have to build up in order to do that. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that in 87. <laughs> the book is the umpire is out. It is available at Amazon and any other places you want to plug Dale. Uh, no, I, I've got, uh, I just, I, I found out and I can, I can plug it now. Uh, May 17th, I'm going to be in, uh, Cooperstown. I've oh, never yes. been to Cooperstown. I've never been to the baseball hall of fame. Um, I'm having an event there at two in the afternoon. Uh, it's a stream uh, interview streaming it. Uh, whoever's there can uh, of course, uh, uh, watch it live, but it's also, it'll also be on their, uh, their web uh, page or their YouTube page or whatever. So, you know, that you can watch it whenever, but I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. uh, and also uh, umpiredalescott.com, my website. Um, I'm waiting for some confirmations. I'm tentatively scheduled for eight uh, MLB Pride Nights uh, this year. Two have uh, confirmed, uh, San Diego and Seattle. Mm. Uh, I'm waiting for the other ones, uh, uh, D.C., New York, uh, Arizona, uh, uh, Baltimore, and uh, I'm forgetting somebody. But anyway, uh, um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to uh, you know, hopefully be a part of all those and just uh, – uh, it's kind of going to be kind of fun to go out on the road again for a couple of weeks and, uh, uh, you know, uh, see some old friends in some of these cities that, uh, you know, I didn't get the, you know, because of the concussions and I, I left the field, I didn't get the old, uh, uh, victory tour or the, uh, you know, going into a year knowing you're going to retire and be able to, uh, you know, say goodbye to a lot of, you, you meet so many people and have so many acquaintances, uh, throughout, you know, when you're there a long time, but, uh, you know, it, it it'll be uh, kind of fun to uh, see that. So I'm, I'm excited about it. That'll be on my schedule on, on my on my website, umpiredalescott.com, and, and there we go. Awesome. Yeah, and without spoiling anything, uh, in Cooperstown, when you get the tour, I will just say that I think it's in their postseason room that uh, there is an umpire's counter in, on one of the displays from a very important game that I think you're going to like when you see An umpire's it. counter? Yes, the, the ball strike count. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll notch that away. I'll, I'll look at it. Yeah, I, I get a, I get a private little tour uh, that morning. Nice. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited. I, that's, uh, you know, that's something I've said I was going to do for years. I never did. So here's my chance. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, they do such an amazing job there. You're going to love it. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. And as you say, the, the pride tour, I mean, that, that kind of is your Dale Scott's in retirement uh, because you are um, what you represent. It's, you, de- you deserve a tour to go around and, and get the applause that, that, uh, that <laughs> well, you've done in 30 years. So, you know, I mean, I mean, it's the perfect storm, the pride nights, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I'm gay and I umpired. <laughs> I am. <laughs> You know, uh, San Diego and, and I think San Diego, uh, they haven't uh, for sure, but uh, but also Seattle. And like I did in L.A. and Baltimore in, in 2018, I'm going to throw out the first pitch. And I said, I don't throw. I can't throw. I'm an umpire. I, I said, I, I hand it to the catcher. Can we do that? <laughs> I mean, so really, we'll you got to you got to throw out the first manager. There you go. Now, say, now that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dale Scott, it is a pleasure to see you as always, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken. I really appreciate it. And uh, anytime, anytime.